Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 6.30 Chad and the Edmonton Oilers Hockey Club present the show that is everything Oilers. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office Equipment Solutions North America Wide. Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio. 6.30 Chad. Brandon, let me tell you something. The uh, the Sherwood Park Midget AAA team was called the Chain. And on their little boom box, when they'd go on the ice, they would have that song playing when they came on. And they, they were usually pretty good. And Hitch coached them for a number of years before he went off to Major Junior. And so that's uh, we referenced Simple Minds and the obvious connection to uh, Chrissy Hines of the Pretenders. Welcome back, everybody. This is the second hour of Oilers Now. It's brought to you by Digitex, PCs, copiers, supplies, printers, laptops, IT, plotters, software. And now Digitex can manage your corporate cell phone plan, saving your company money. All your devices managed at uh, digitex.ca. We'll tell you that guests on the show receive gift certificates to Japanese Village, steak and seafood cooked right at your table. Japanese Village, Edmonton, South Downtown, Northside, and Sherwood Park. Sean Evans. Swing on by. Say hi to your friend Bob. Uh, you can text us at 630-630 on our Heartland Ford text line. Heartland Ford out in Fort Saskatchewan, not your small town dealership. He was never on the chain gang, but he rode some hard miles. He's our guest in the next 20-minute segment. Pleased to be joined by uh, a man who played over 400 games in the NHL. He did it the hard way. He fought a lot of dudes. Now he's an excellent analyst uh, for the Washington Capitals television broadcasts. And I'm opening question for Al May as we go to the River Creek Resort and Casino. Al, in the off season, and we had John like six times in the off season. Did you envision a scenario where uh, Leon Dreisaitl was within two goals of Alexander Ovechkin for the Rocket Richard Trophy? Wow, eh? No, I knew he was good. I just didn't realize he was going to be this great of a goal scorer. And hopefully he's able to do this every single season and, you know, have the type of career that Ovi's had. And, and you know, right now it's so hard to score goals. And I think it's been a little bit easier this year than the last few because of the, the way the game's being played. But you know what? You have to be a good player. It's not by accident that he's getting the amount of goals that he has. And he's so in sync right now with his shot on the ice. Uh, he's skating, finding spots. You know, great contract to have him locked up into because these are the type of guys you want to be able to build your franchise around. Oh, for all of the criticism that Peter Shirelli has taken, and he has taken criticism for a lot of different things, those two contracts, McDavid and Dreisaitl, $21 million for those two guys, you'll take that all day. Well, every general manager in the National Hockey League is going to do that. That's that's not rocket You know, you need to be, you need to lock in your guys, especially when they have the attitudes and the effort of the two players that you have in Edmonton. It, one of the things that Pittsburgh Penguins learned a long time ago, and I know I turned to the Capitals, but we study the Penguins more than any team in the league. You lock up your superstars. You get them all locked and loaded. All the other parts are interchangeable, and they've done a great job of making sure that the guys that come up from the American League are earning their spots. They don't give anything. Yeah. You have to earn it. If you don't have good character, if you're not working all the time down a week's bar, you're not going to get your call up top. And if, and if they somehow let a guy with one of those questionable attitudes 
Sully's not going to put up with it. The team's not going to put up with it. And they'll get rid of those players. So I, I love the direction uh, of being able to lock some superstars in. It's just a matter of getting a few more guys so they're locked and loaded and they're, they're top-heavy with their talent and their skill. And then all the other parts will be interchangeable because everyone will want to play there. It gives you more time to develop your prospects. You've got a great thing going right now in Bakersfield. And, you know, don't bring up those players just because they're doing well right now. Make sure they continue to have that success because the teams that do that, they get a lot more mileage out of those players in their NHL career. All right, that's a great place to go to next because the Capitals have Hershey. Pittsburgh's got Wilkes-Barre. And Edmonton's got a team in uh, Bakersfield right now that's 22-2-2. and And, Al, they're going to add three more defensemen and an entire forward line next year with kids graduating out of major junior in college. Like, they're going to have another group on top of the guys. So they're they're finally going to – and if anything, Wilkes-Barre and, and Hershey were always older American Hockey League teams. I don't know if they had, you know, nine of the 12 forwards being forward prospects or five of the six defensemen being D prospects that weren't AHL vets, but – Bottom line is, I think that Wilkes-Barre and Hershey's success played a factor in why the last three Stanley Cup champions have come out of the same division. Well, I would say more Wilkes-Barre than the Capitals because, you know, the Hershey wasn't running it the way it should have been until this season, in my opinion. And a lot of our, our top players were being parked there. All's there on a Carlos and guys that you know were too good for the league, really. You just get them in there, yeah. get their feet wet. You know, they learn how to live on their own. But Wilkes-Barre, you know, they started getting rid of it, and the Capitals started getting rid of the older players in the American Hockey League. And, and nothing against older players, but they had to be high-character guys. There are certain individuals you want to run for young players. You want the kind of guy that your prospects are thinking, I'm so lucky to be around this guy. He's helped me so much in my career. And to have players with high character that still work hard every night, it's very important. And I know when I played in the American Hockey League, the older guys that were on the team that knew they weren't going to make it, and, you know, they might get a, a cup of coffee here and there as a thank you, but they did everything they could. The guys that did everything they could for the rest of us, those are the kind of guys you felt lucky to know. And now that, you know, teams are realizing that's what you have to do. You need high-character guys around to, to lead your youngsters in the right direction. Let those young guys know when they step on a line, it's going to cost them a career if they don't toe the line. And it's so important to have that. And then to get your guys skating every night on their own. They're learning how to live on their own. They work out, you know, what they've got going down in Bakersfield with the off-ice workouts and the training. That stuff, it takes its toll on a player his first year. And learning how to eat on your own. You know, you don't have a billet family anymore. You don't have, you know, a training table in college. So there's a lot of steps. If you're not ready for the National Hockey League right off the bat, I recommend two or three years uninterrupted in the American Hockey League. Before you start to bring guys up, don't just bring them up because he had a good two weeks and then set them around after he doesn't score for a week and then you have him three weeks doing nothing except the extra skate with the assistant coaches. Let them play there. Detroit had so much success for years doing it that way. And I, I just think that's the way to go. If you want if you want to win, you got to win with your American Hockey League team developing your draft picks. Before last night, the last team to have two players with 100-plus points in the same season were the 2009-2010 Washington Capitals. So Vetchkin at that stage, because he was a 2004 draft, we had the 0405 lockout. Uh, so that's Ovechkin's fifth year in the NHL. And uh, Baxter was an 06 draft, so I guess that would have been, what, his third year in the NHL because he played a year over in uh, Sweden before he came over. Did you think at that time, Al, because you were covering the team at that stage, 
Did you think that the Capitals would be eight years removed from winning the Stanley Cup? When they you know had what? those I two never... guys, those two guys get 100-plus points? You know what? I, I think from being a student of the game and knowing how hard it is to win, I, I always saw flaws on a lot of the teams. And when you go back to that, that first roster they had, they never had the defensive. They never had enough for the guys. And, you know, I look back at the Chicago's first Stanley Cup. They're playing the Philadelphia Flyers, and the Flyers could only play four of their defensemen. Their five, six, and sevens were getting burnt every time they were on the ice. And you have to have a full roster. Everyone's got to be calling it. You know, they'd go into the playoffs every year, and people, you know, would ask me, you know, I'm not an employee of the team, but we're a broadcast partner. You know, NBC Sports Washington, uh, that's our team. And we make no bones about it. We want our team to win. We want to work as long as we can. And me being a former player and the board of directors with the alumni here, I want them to do well. I want them to play well. I want these guys to have great careers. I want to see the seats packed in the building, uh, the team making money. And, you know, I would tell my friends, I said, they're not going to win it. They just don't have enough. But I'm not a, a, skept, a skeptical guy by nature. I'm an optimist, and I, and I believe. But you could just see that things weren't there, and I felt there was a hole here. There was a hole here in the coaching staff. There wasn't enough. And when it finally happened, you know, you, you look at Barry Trotz and Todd Rudin, Lane Lambert, Mitch Corn, the entire coaching staff here, all of a sudden they had a full complement of coaches that were, were great enough and good enough to do things with a really good roster. And our general manager, the new one, Brian McClellan, built the team methodically and every year he addressed the major needs and then he put all the pressure on the star players and the coaching staff last year to get it done he said this is this is it. it's now or never because all of a sudden they were going to explode this thing and start start a rebuild and the veteran would retire here Baxter would retire here but other players wouldn't be retiring here so you know my long-winded answer is i didn't know it would take this long but I felt that Ovi had enough in him and Nick Baxter had enough in them. They just needed more players around them to be able to win, just like Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl need more players around them to be able to win. All the criticism that we've seen Braden Holpe have over the years, there wasn't enough good defensemen in front of them at times. There was too many high danger opportunities. So, you know, no goaltender can win in certain situations, and I think you have to build a team to make your goaltender realized his potential as well. That 9-10 season for Washington, Al, by the way, Jeff Schultz, I think, was like plus 50. I mean, you know, Jerry Johansson got him a sweetheart of a deal moving forward. We're joined by Alan May, longtime Washington Capitals player, now broadcaster. Um, I want to get to this just in terms of where the Caps are at right now. I mean, Tampa Bay clearly has to be... Is Tampa Bay a different team this year than they have been in the past because of the degree of competitiveness from their players? Because I think there was a perception that they were, you know, they were a little soft against Washington come crunch time. Do you believe that they've uh, addressed that in terms of just not necessarily with their personnel, but how their personnel plays? Well, you know what? Two weeks ago when the Capitals were in there for the first time this year that they played each other, they were all, every guy was acting like he was six foot five and, you know, bulletproof. And they came into Washington and, and you know, uh, Vasilevsky saved their hides. The Caps put up 58 shots. They lose in overtime. Uh, but the Capitals dominated them physically in that game. The guys that were at the, the, home, the hometown muscles didn't have any muscles all of a sudden. And the Caps were challenging them all over the ice. So it'll be an interesting. And that's not a character for how they played this year. What they have been doing is playing great keep away hockey. They're giving up a lot of high danger chances. When you make them play in their own zone, they have a tough time. But the problem is they have the puck all the time. And I've seen the Boston Bruins play two dramatically different games than them in the last month. The first time they played, Boston sat back a lot like Washington did last year and waited. Took 
picked them off on mistakes and then pummeled them physically when it was there. They didn't chase it. A game I saw earlier this week or in the last, uh, yeah, but the last week or so, Boston was up four to two in the third period, and they got a little too cocky chasing goals and start, starting to go up and down the ice and, and started to play yep. on hockey. Well, that's what the Lightning want. They want that up and down game because they'll expose your holes because they're so fast that they they will. If you got a hole in your coverage. They're going to find it, and they hang on to the puck. They're on a dump and chase. They don't bump and grind. They want to make sure that they're taking the one-time east-west passes. They want to get your you, you confused and switch coverages. And Boston, once they got out of the source, and they, they showed it on a penalty kill. They started to you know, go after shorthanded goals, and the game was all over in about five, six minutes after that. And I think they learned the lesson. But the Caps, uh, I believe it, it's – should still be these two teams. If Boston doesn't knock off Tampa, it's going to be those two teams in the Eastern Conference. And then Tampa's going to have to figure out what to do against the Capitals' defense now that they're all on the same page playing defensively. The guys are you know, committing their bodies physically, whether it's the block shots, win puck battles, finish hits, do whatever they have to to win games. So, you know, Tampa's still the same team. I think they're a little bit different at home than they were before. And, uh, you know, they, they, they've added some nice pieces on the backside with the older players being injured in Girardi and Strom and, and the young kids that have gone in have a good job. But I still think their, their defensive group is suspect. And that's saying that with Hedman. He can't do it all by himself. So that, that will be, if there's a, if there's, uh, a dent in their armor, it will be in the back end and, and guys not being able to play at a high pace and a physical team in the playoffs. I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Brian Burke yesterday involving Paul Byron because J.P. Barry uh, spoke out and said the code has to change. Uh, Byron blasted uh, Mackenzie Weger, got suspended for it, and uh, Florida played Montreal, and Weger challenged Byron to a fight. Byron took the fight and got himself knocked out. And not not available. Very important player for the Montreal Canadiens. Um, I'm going to guess that you respect what Paul Byron did and think that's the way it should have been settled. Well, first of all, there was no code when I played. And, you know, what it was is if you, if you hit a goalie, expect to get in the fight. If you hit someone from behind, expect to get in the fight. If you hit someone in the face with your stick, expect to get in the fight. Don't expect the guy to look at his finger and see if there's a droplet of blood. I believe that there was less high sticking in the face back during my year. I know it was very, very wicked in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, how some guys tried to, you know, use their sticks. But I don't think Paul Byron, I, I like the fact that, that he fought him, but I don't think a guy skating up to you like that uh, should have to be done. I felt that someone else on the Montreal Canadiens yep. should have went in there and grabbed Weger myself. That's the way I look at it. And, that, and that's maybe that's an archaic point of view, but Paul Byron's not a fighter. Paul Byron threw a hit one night, caught a guy good. Now everyone has to apologize or text an apology, you know, be politically correct. I don't think you have to. You know, guy, he, he threw a hit, he got suspended. You know, he did his, you know, he did the time for the crime, whatever you want to say. But I, I just don't think guys should be, you know, skating up and saying, hey, would you give me a fight? And I, I think it's stupid. I, I think it's a moronic way to go about it. If, if a guy wants to come up and fight a guy like Paul Byron on their team, step up and show what your true colors are as a teammate. And the bigger guys and the guys that are physical go in there. You know, if you, if you got to take your stick out and, you know, give the guy a shot with it, and, you know, I'm not saying spear him in the face or two-hand him up top, but, you know, get in there, push the guy, grab, grab him, create a scrum, get all five guys in there. So I, I still believe, what if Wayne Gretzky would have thrown that hit? Do we expect Wayne Gretzky to go out and fight Mackenzie Weger when he was playing? No. If he would have went out there and tried that, there would have been four other guys on the ice grabbing him. And it wouldn't matter if it was Curry or Tickenin or Charlie Hardy, Kevin Lowe. 
they all would have been in there. So, you know, the, the, this whole code thing that was created by the media about 10 years ago because it sounded good on social media, I, I, I'm not a fan of because, hmm. and I'm also not a fan of guys patting each other on the backside after a fight and saying thanks. I, I think if you get in a fight, you should be fighting to win and you shouldn't be polite after it's all said and done. Uh, when you fought, did you did you fight desperate and hungry? Like when I watched Sam Bennett from Calgary fight, that guy's fighting to death, man. Like he is chucking from downtown in every fight. Like it's like it's like you know how Rudy Postcheck would sit there and trade punches in the face, and he wasn't worried about defense. Uh, like you watch Bennett, he's one of the most exciting fighters in the league, and he's you know we don't necessarily think of him you know the same way we'd think of a guy like Milan Lucic, but. You know, and Luch is there's a control to what Luch does, and maybe there's only four or five guys like him left in the league. But give me a thought on: uh, Did you fight? Were you ever afraid to lose? And did you, you know what? go for it? I never went in a I never went in a fight uh, afraid to lose. You just don't think about it. You think about how you know back when we played. I thought the only way to go in was to thinking how you could win the fight, and, and at the same time not get your ass kicked. Yeah, and I was never a fan of the way Big Rudy fought. Because I thought he took too many punches, and I realized at a young age those punches in the face hurt. You know, your neck might hurt for a week or two. So, yep. you know, duck, duck, and counter. And I, I thought because of my size, you know, played most of my NHL career under 180 pounds, and you know, fought guys that were sometimes you were you were Al, you were under 180 most of your career. I played my rookie games in the NHL in the 160s. So come on, it was it was a guy. I was I couldn't gain weight. I cracked uh, 200 pounds at 29 years old. And it, it was it was a progress, you know. I, worked, I think I worked out too much, burned too many calories. Uh, tried to eat as much as I could, and you know, tried every, you know, and you know, stayed within the letter of the law. You know, keeping my, you know, trying to get gain weight, and I think a little bit of beer over the year helped put a few pounds on. But the, uh, you know, I just thought, I just thought if I was fit, that's all that mattered to me. I, you know, I, I always hated coaches that said, "Oh, you need to weigh two hundred and ten pounds." Why? Why do I need to wait? Where's the science behind me wearing, having to wait 210 pounds? Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I've seen coaches ruin players in the league. He, I remember Tyler Myler t- telling a story where they wanted on the pack on a bunch of weight in Buffalo, and he didn't feel great. He, he, he basically said he sucked all year until he got all that weight off his body and felt like he normally felt. How did he get the National Hockey League? You know, he was in shape. He was a committed player to, to, to be better at his craft. And all of a sudden, some some guy that's 50 years old tells you you need to be 240, 250 pounds, and it took away from his game. So I never bought into you had to be X to be successful. Al, great stuff. Thanks for your time. Yep, take care, Bob. You bet. That's Alan May, uh, Washington Capitals broadcaster, former player. We're going to take a quick timeout. Come back with some thoughts on Oscar Clefbaum on a former teammate of his that Darren Drager mentioned is a guy that's gaining some interest uh, internationally playing for Farstad over in Sweden. This is Milan Lucic from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 630 Ched. It's 126 in Edmonton. Yesterday, TSN's Darren Drager mentioned that Swedish forward Joachim Nygaard was being scouted by multiple NHL teams. He played in Farstad. He's a former junior teammate of the Edmonton Oilers' Oscar Clefbaum. Here's some thoughts uh, from the Oilers' defenseman on uh, on Nygaard. When you see him play, you, you get uh, surprised how much speed he got on the ice. It's almost like seeing Connor uh, picking up his speed and, and go around defenseman. He's kind of the same player uh, that 
dimensional speed, and, and, and he's been having a really good year. Uh, I like him as a guy too, on and off the ice. Uh, he's very professional, um, and he's having a good year, obviously, back home. Uh, when you see he's in, involved in, in everything out there, um, and he makes um, all the players around him better too. Obviously, he's such a good skater, so the other guys just have uh, the stick on the ice, and, and, and he will find them. So um, he, he is an um, interesting player. All right, so Farstad is uh, first right now in the Swedish League. Like they're in their playoffs. He's not doing anything until uh, the season's over. Do you think that he's a player that could be capable of playing in the National Hockey League next year? For sure, I think so. And, and it's just because of that speed. I mean, nowadays the, the, this game is um, is so fast. Uh, if you're not a good skater, you're not going to be in this league for for very long. Um, it's a long season. You need that speed when you, if you're going to have to win some games, um, especially late in the season. Uh, you need those guys that have that dimensional speed and, and just the success of, of Connor is just, just showing that I think um, and it's going to be interesting to see how he, he steps up in the in the playoff I think it's going to be very interesting for, for my people at home to see how he handled uh, the pressure because he's been a really good player and, and, and they're a key guy this season so it's going to be it's going to be very interesting to see how he handled the pressure Alright so that's Oscar Clefbaum again talking about Joe Kim Nygaard of uh, Farstead and uh, Drager mentioned yesterday, TSN's Darren Drager, on uh, insider trading, that Calgary and Ottawa were two of the teams that were uh, in on him. Uh, I do know the owners have sent people in on him to see him as well. Uh, 12, well, sorry, check that, 128. We're going to head off to a global news weather traffic update with uh, Cassandra Jodwan. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I should know that because there's a coach, Clement Jodwan, who uh, worked for years uh, with the Montreal Canadiens organization. Kurt Hill coming back. He, uh, he is the general manager of the Edmonton Oil Kings, and this is Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.